If someone thousands of years from now was reading your emails, do you think they'd find talk of exchanging God's glory for birds, animals, and reptiles? Or passages where you unequivocally tell people that no one is good and that no one seeks God? Or explaining that because one man sinned, now everyone's gonna die? Well, don't worry, in the letter that we're looking at today, Paul's letter to the Romans, there is also some very, very good news too. And we're gonna be talking about all of that and so much more on today's episode of Theology On Air. Well, welcome back to Theology On Air, um, an offshoot of Theology On Tap, which is a ministry to young adults in Houston, where we gather around delicious food and craft beer, and we talk about juicy, uh, controversial, relevant issues around uh, theology, philosophy, socio-political issues, faith and culture. It's a lot of fun, and you should definitely join us. You should also check out everything you need to know about Theology on Tap by going to HoustonTOT.com. That's HoustonTOT.com. Find out about upcoming events, who we are, stalk the leadership, all that kind of stuff. Um, But I'm Sarah Stone. I am the Outreach Director for Young Adults at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church. We're taking over the studio today because there's two out of three of us from that church. It's Um, a coup. Yeah, I'm joined uh, as usual by Evan McClanahan, the senior pastor. Um, I, I say that the, just I, to I'm mess the, with him. I'm the Ukraine in this situation, to what? be clear. Oh, gosh. Wow, the you took that over. dark. No, yeah. I, I got it. Yeah. Sorry, I, that was... Well, I said you're the senior Ooh. pastor, and then you said you're Ukraine, and I got yeah. it. Very so we're going to hear about that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, if people watch this 10 years from now, they'll be like, what is he talking what is about? He? Probably. Uh, point is, uh, Evan is the everything pastor here at First Lutheran, um, and uh, and he does it all. And I jokingly call him a senior pastor. He is also the only pastor. So Yes. Uh, he's also the lowest man on the totem pole. Uh, absolutely. Because he's the only one. Um But we're joined today by our special guest, a repeat visitor, Dr. Clay Brown. Clay has served as the Associate Pastor for Adult Discipleship at Houston's Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church, where I work, since 2017. He's been in church-related ministry for nearly 40 years, and he says to say he began when he was five years old. Five. Which makes him younger than me, so... Well, you know, it I, is it is what it is. I don't think it is that. No, actually. it's probably not that. That's a blatant lie. Um, but we are going to be tackling another book of the Bible today. If you watch theology or listen to theology on air, you know that around once a month we try to actually talk about the Bible. Seems fitting since theology is right in our name, and that's the place where we find our theology. Um, and so we've tackled a bunch of stuff in the Old Testament, and then we moved into the New Testament, and. Um, and now we're tackling one of, it's a lot of people's favorite books, but it's some people's least favorite book of the Bible. And I asked Clay because it's a book that he particularly loves. So um, before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of the book, Clay, tell us a little bit about why you are so intrigued by this book. Like it's yeah. the first, so when you first started our church, I think yeah. if memory serves, you had the whole church study one book. We had the, and we had the whole church study one book and I picked Romans, yeah. which either talks about a death wish on my part or really speaks to my understanding of the importance of this Mm -hmm. book for Christian uh, belief and practice. Uh, When I first got into ministry when I was five years old, uh, I was advised by some uh, wise older pastors to pick one book of the Bible to focus on. Uh, obviously, that's not the only book of the Bible I have to deal with, but to, to, to pick one book to kind of stay up with and read regularly and try and get some of uh, the best commentaries I could find and, and so on. And just let that book become more of 
of a part of me mm-hmm. uh, than, say, Leviticus. <laughs> uh, and, Although that's a juicy well, one, yeah, too. I know. That's why. That, and, <laughs> poor Leviticus. Uh, yeah, gets picked on poor, all the time. It gets picked on a lot. And it's but, not even the hardest one to read in my no. mind. It's got all kinds of interesting things, but anyway. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Romans was that book that I selected because of its importance in in uh, Christian his the Christian history of thought, but and doctrine, but also just in my life. Yeah. Uh, that that uh, there have been many times where I have turned to the Book of Romans for uh, for guidance, mm. for counsel, for <laughs> conviction, yeah. for. Uh, the, the acknowledgement of the challenge I was facing, a, a number yeah. of reasons. Uh, so, so Romans has had a huge impact on my life, and and I just think that's, uh, yeah. So there, it, it's it's personal in a way. Yeah. Uh, so he was the first person we asked to do this one because I knew it was kind of his baby. I mean, it's Paul's baby and the yeah. Lord's, but also Clay Brown's. So it seems like so we um, we talked through the Gospels. And then we tackled Acts, but uh, but I say both of those. The Gospels are actually four books, but but all of those have a lot of like things that happened in history and um, and walking through actual events that happened. And then when you get to Romans, you get a lot of kind of theology, right? Like absolutely. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit, not a little bit, as much as you want about the overarching idea of Romans. Like what is what's historically happening? What are some big themes we're going to find? What are some of the main ideas? And then we'll kind of go through and pick on some stuff that might be hard to understand. Okay. Uh, uh, Romans is one of the didactic uh, books of the Bible as opposed as opposed to narrative, as opposed to poetry, mm. uh, uh, apocalyptic uh, literature. There's, it, it has a rhetorical point it's attempting to make, and it attempts to make that point in a number of ways and to nuance it as it does so. It's not, uh, you know, you can't do it in a, you know, in in a the typical school five paragraph theme, it's going to take a lot longer to unpack it. But but there's really there's a flow to Romans, uh, the an extended argument in Romans that I think is important, and it has a thesis sentence. Okay. You know, I was a, a, I read my original career path was uh, English professor. Okay. I mean, tweed jacket, patches on the elbows, smoke a pipe. Pipes at night. Oh, yeah. the whole okay. thing, you know, and just. Uh, Oh, let's read our assignment from T.S. Eliot today. Uh, you know, that <laughs> British was, in the scenario. <clears throat> yeah, great. yeah, yeah, that's what the uh, the that that was original uh, path for me. And, and one of the things you pick up on, and when you're doing that, and when you're reading papers and grading papers and what have you, is that it really helps if someone has a thesis statement. Yeah. If someone kind of knows where they're going when they start, it, that may not be exactly where they end up, but at least it it helps you as the reader uh, to follow what's going on. And there's a thesis statement in Romans. It's Romans chapter one, and it's uh, verses six. 16 and 17. I think the entire book of Romans is is in one way or another attempting to argue the validity and the importance of these two verses. And, and let me read them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, I'm using the NIV. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I think all of Romans is, is unpacking that expanding on that, talking about the implications of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think 
uh, the first three chapters are are explaining why we need that, mm. why we need the power of the gospel. What is it about the gospel that human beings desperately need? Uh, chapters uh, four and five uh, begin to elaborate and then getting in six and seven, but four and five in particular, chapter four with Abraham, the, the poster child for <laughs> Living by faith, walking by mm-hmm. faith, being saved by faith, uh, and so Paul's wanting to make sure you know that this isn't this isn't a new thing. Right. This this is something that goes back to the very beginning of God calling the people to Himself. Uh, and then uh, chapters six and seven. What does it mean in terms of God's law uh, mm-hmm. to be, to be connected to God by faith? Uh, eight is a pastoral chapter in my mind hmm. uh, that is talking about uh, the implications of if, if this indeed is true, then how does it play out uh, through all the crap that happens, mm-hmm. quite frankly, in we'll my life? We'll have to bleep that out. We'll later. have to. We're going to bleep out crap. No, I'm just being silly. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Gosh, I underestimated this crowd. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, eight's Chapter 8 is going to talk about that. 9 through 12 is going to, uh, Paul's heartache with his own people, with the mm. Jewish people. How, how does that unfold in relationship to this thesis statement? Then in chapter 12, all the, to the end of the book, it, I, th- I think it follows the pattern that Paul often does in his letters. There's a theological emphasis in his letter, and then he talks about the, the practical Applications of what he's been talking about, and so in chapter. It's like 12, a good pap- Baptist pastor. Well, it is. It's, it's what uh, you know. And then it, if if he could throw a poem at the end, that would be really. Sorry, that was a bad joke. Oh, I didn't uh, even think of that being a Baptist thing. Alliterative, uh, maybe. Yeah. The power, the passion, you know, the presence. Well, that's and I can't tell you how many times I've I've done that, but uh, <laughs> every pastor. Uh, has. Every pastor has, but uh, so twelve through Under sixteen. Yeah. 12 through 16 uh, talk about, all right, if this is true, then here's what it means for some of the nuts and bolts of human living yeah. and, and human relationships. And it'll talk about uh, as diverse as relationship to government, as diverse as, as what is it, relationship to other Christians, some of who are stronger and, and greater in their faith than I am and others who are uh, sort of, uh, I hate to use this term, sounds pejorative, but baby Christians, yeah, new Christians, new, new, yeah. new Christians still working out some of the implications of that. Uh, uh, all kinds of things he's going to talk about in light of, I think of, verses 16 and 17 in chapter 1. Uh, so I, I think it, it's the it's the, the lens through mm-hmm. which he's going to look at the rest mm-hmm. of the book. I love it. I think that's clever. I mean, I never thought about it that way before. Um, so first off, Paul is writing this, Paul, the apostle, the guy that was Saul. And we learned in Acts about everything that happened to him. Where is he just in his life and ministry and journey at this point? He's writing this to people that are, who, who he's writing it to the Romans, the Romans, but like a church. What, what's happening? Yeah, it's, it, we believe it's a church. It's a church that's mixed Gentile and Jewish, probably majority Gentile at this point. There was a, 
before this letter is sent out, there was a time when uh, all the Jews were kicked out of Rome. You know, it just really depended on what Caesar wanted to do mm-hmm. and, and which Caesar happened to be in charge at the moment. So there had been a time when all the Jews were kicked out of out of Rome. But then by the time uh, Paul makes it to Rome in the end of the book of Acts, maybe 40, 50,000 Jews living in you know the mm-hmm. greater Rome uh, metropolitan area. Uh, so so there's a strong Jewish community there, but uh, there's also been this attraction uh, to the to the Gentile world. So he's writing it to this church, and it's a church he's never visited, mm-hmm. uh, which is unusual. Most of his letters are to churches or to people that he's had a personal connection mm-hmm. with. Romans is different. And, Interesting. And that's why I think Romans mm-hmm. sometimes sounds a little more like a textbook than some of his other letters, a little more abstract, uh, more like a treatise yeah. in some aspects of it, because he's it, it, in lieu of the personal connection. He doesn't exactly know if they're on the right page theologically, so he wants to make sure they know what yeah. that right page is in his mind yeah. as he goes on. Yeah. But the the Jewish Gentile question, if you will, was one that had simmered for quite a while. So, I mean, he's writing... Hundreds of years. What, what, yeah. what, would, what is the date you would put on this? Like early 60s or... Yeah, late 50s, late 50s early 60s. Yeah, uh, so... Just, it kind of depends. So, you know, throughout Acts, for sure, but, uh, you know, we, we do see this difficulty of, of where, you know, there's a question in the church about how, you know, how a, a church that has a Jewish Messiah, Jewish Savior, and largely begins as a Jewish cult, if you will, I mean, that in the most broad sociological yeah. sense, mm-hmm. um, you know, and how Gentiles fit into that, you know. So you have, like, in Galatians, the whole question of circumcision and, you know, so in what way should we bring Gentiles into ceremonial Hebrew law, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, Paul is the one who's sort of tasked with resolving a lot of that. And so since he didn't know anyone in Romans, it does read a little bit like a generic sort of uh, – fill in the blank almost maybe like I'm going to address Jews I'm going to address Gentiles this is where the gospel fits in for both of those folks absolutely as opposed to uh, say Galatians Mm -hmm. which covers a lot of the same territory theologically Mm -hmm. in fact some people call Galatians baby Romans Paul knows the people in the uh, the circular letter uh, that goes around to the various churches in in the in Galatia. He knows them and he's mad at them. Foolish Galatians, he is. Yeah, so so he's disappointed in them. It, which, so there's a completely different tone in that letter versus Romans, mm-hmm. where like I said, he. He knows a few of the people he's communicating with. He's running into them in the course of his his ministry, but he's he's having to have someone deliver this form. It's Phoebe. We discover later Ooh. on, girl power. Yeah, uh, and is she a girl boss? Yeah. Oh my God! Sorry, go ahead. Evan's learning some terminology oh, and trying. Okay, it on that's herself. what yeah. I I I appreciate people stretching themselves. Yeah. And <laughs> with that, <clears throat> so uh, you know, it's, so it does have that different feel to it uh, in terms of his personal connection. There's not quite as much of that personal connection, and so he goes, he doubles down on the theology. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I, I'm obviously a theology nerd, but also it's. There's no wondering what he's trying to say, right? It's, it's pretty clear. Um, I, I thought maybe what we could do is just kind of go through the book 
not maybe chapter by chapter, but as we go through picking some either really um, kind of important or notable passages or really tricky passages, because there are some in here that I think many people uh, have a problem with, if we can just say that. I mean, there's a lot about predestination in Romans that, you know, sits under people's collars awkwardly. But starting in chapter one, one of my favorite passages, and actually one of my favorite sermons that our pastor has ever preached, I think, and I don't know if you were around for Ash Wednesday when he talked about the um, uh, Lord of the Flies, mm, that no, whole thing. No and he basically used Romans 1 um, uh, and this idea that people have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. How did that happen? How is it playing out? And what does that mean for God's wrath? That's another thing people don't like to talk about. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about the messaging of Romans 1, but I, uh, I have a couple of specific questions. One is, there's something right at the beginning about um, that we can see in nature God's design and so that no one is without excuse. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because some people think that means there's no excuse for people to not at least believe in some kind of a God. But it doesn't take us all the way to salvation, right? Like mm-hmm. no one looks at a tree and is like, I know I know, I need Jesus, you know. Yeah. Um, so question about that. And then I, I think we would be remiss not to talk about that part at the end of Romans 1 where he addresses homosexuality. That word is not used, obviously, but this is one of those clobber verses, which is one of the the verses in the Bible that talks about this issue. Um, And what do we do with that? So those are two questions. One is 120, and then one is uh, 26 and 27. But anything else you want to say about the first chapter that you haven't already? Sure. Uh, Again, I think what comes right after his thesis statement is is, uh, connected to it. And how is it connected? I think he's trying to set up why people need the gospel in the first place. And and so it's rhetorically connected Mm -hmm. to what has uh, come about the power of God. Well, why do you need the power of God? Why yeah. do you need the salvation of the gospel? Because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth in their wickedness, says verse 18. Uh, you know, which is that that is a uh, whoa, yeah. you know, just, uh, you know, don't, you know, don't beat around the bush, Paul, say what you mean. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so I, I think what he's saying then in verse 20 and so on about the uh, being able to know God or recognize God. Mm-hmm. I think it's a par- partial knowledge that he's talking about. Uh, I, I, you know, the, the, the theologians and, and Bible students love to talk about uh, natural revelation and specific mm-hmm. revelation. I think that's a distinction here that's helpful. Uh, that, uh, yes, we can look at a tree and and see the, the glories of God in that tree, but I don't think it takes us all the way to... Uh, understanding our need for Jesus and understanding who Jesus is in the first place, why yeah. we need the gospel. Yeah. Uh, it, it creates a, a, a ground floor, but it's not sufficient in itself. Uh, I like the, I'm a C.S. Lewis nerd, and mm-hmm. I like the way C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, the first book of it, Right and Wrong is a Clue to the Meaning of the Universe, talks about uh we all have some understanding of what he calls the moral law. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're standing in line, someone cuts in front of us, mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we get mad. Well, why do we get mad? Mm-hmm. There's something about us that, that finds that unfair. Right. And, and, and it goes against uh, something that is not simply culturally or or societally constructed. Right. It's uh, baked in. Yeah. Uh, that and, and so and Lewis then takes that argument and works with it to where he says, well, it looks like there's some kind of law 
that's with us, inherent with us. And if there's a law, then it looks like there's a lawgiver. Right. And if there's a lawgiver, we haven't been doing too well with the whole law thing. And there's yeah. a chance that the lawgiver is pretty uh, ticked off with us. I appreciate you uh, yes, taking the language down. I did. Yeah. I, I, I think I remembered if, you know, if crap was going oh to be Oh my gosh, deleted. now I have to bleep it again. Oh gosh, here we go. <laughs> uh, so uh, so it's a partial knowledge. It's, it's you know, know about versus the knowing of a relationship, I think. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, there, there's a, a, a sense in which none of us can come to God without God's initiative and work. And yet at the same time, uh, there's enough information out there in the world, in the natural world, about God that it ought to at least pique our curiosity. It, it, it ought to, or it ought to uh, uh, tweak us a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Are you saying that in the same way that when we're put off by injustice, it lets us know that there could be a lawgiver, that looking around at the the beauty of the world, the glory, the majesty, the design, that that lets us know that there's something bigger outside of us better, and that it already starts to kind of let us know that we are not that? Like, well, we are well, not the d- designer of the world? You know, I think, I th- I, I think so. The... Uh, uh, people who are interested in Christian apologetics will sometimes talk about the anthropic principle that the, uh, the, the, the world is created in such a way that so many things are fine-tuned mm-hmm. for humans to be able to survive. That sure. Okay, you can look at that as billions and billions and billions of, of opportunities versus one, you know, sure. it, you know th- th- that <laughs> shot, and we just got lucky. We won the lottery. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, but it, it also seems to speak of design and, yeah. and uh, direction and initiative. Uh, so so I, I think it's talking in, in that section simply about the, uh, you know, it, then the text says his, his eternal power and divine nature. So it didn't say everything about God's revealed in yeah. that. There are certain particular attributes yeah. of God that one can pick up and one ought to be able to pick up, uh, except we, as the text says, suppress that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what. And then you get into Paul's explanation of why. And uh, it his explanation of why in verses 21, uh, 22, and 23, in my mind, uh, help explain what, uh, Sarah, you called the clobber verses. I didn't come up with that. Uh, a, about, yeah. uh, well, no, but you mentioned it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And say that was <clears throat> your your terminology, but it's terminology that many have used to yeah. describe the the discussion of, of human sexuality, uh, in, in particular homosexuality. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the primordial sin is not homosexuality. Right. The primordial sin is idolatry, mm-hmm. is wanting to set something else up as God. Yeah. And I think that's what uh, this section is attempting to unpack. And the discussion of homosexuality, homosexual practice, is illustrative, not exhaustive. Yeah. It's just one, one day. There's a lot of... Uh, exchanges going on here. Mm-hmm. You take a something good and, then, and it gets exchanged for something much mm-hmm. lesser mm-hmm. that that is out of keeping with the with the, yeah. with, with the intent. Huh. And, and so there are several uh, things of this and uh, this happens to be an example that 
that that Paul uses, it speaks to the Roman audience, quite frankly. Because uh, and, and there are some people say, well, Paul was a sheltered Jew and didn't know anything about uh, you know, that, and so he really didn't know what he was talking about. No, really, Paul was a citizen uh, of Rome. He grew, he didn't grow up in Jerusalem. He grew yeah. up in in Tarsus of Cilicia. Uh, he was a well-traveled, uh, well-educated mm-hmm. man. And so, yeah, he, he had seen same-sex relationships mm-hmm. being played out um, on many, many occasions in his travels. And uh, so he, he's not this naive uh uh, naive uh, person who just spent all of his life uh, huddled in a in a room in Jerusalem reading the Torah. That was yeah, that yeah. was not his yeah. his uh, perspective. So uh, so I, Paul, I think he is trying to say that this is this is an illustration of the idolatry, the the disorder that yeah. permeates human existence. And it's not the only thing because he goes on in verses, yep. uh, you know, 28, uh, 29 and following to give us one of his notable vice lists of just every wrong thing he can think of. I love that it ends with disobeying your parents. Yes. Like, well, you got us all on that one. You yeah. know, like yeah. no one escapes. Yeah. yeah. And, got, and no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Uh, it, it Thank really you for coming to the podcast. Yes, that's that's our a nice way. Yeah. Uh, so it, so it, uh, homosexuality doesn't even make that list. Hmm. It's not in that list. It's the first. It's one of the first examples, and then yeah. it goes on. Yeah, it's, it, but it's yeah. by by no means the primary example. And so, in terms of uh, human uh, practice that goes against the intent and will of God, it's an example. It's not the only hmm. example, and probably not the uh, worst example hmm. yeah. by me, any stretch. Let me let me just. I know I hate to go backwards, but I only wanted to make a point to, to sort of strengthen the issue of people's knowledge, mm. uh, which is in, at the end of verse 20, he ends by saying, so they are without excuse. And so I would argue that whatever knowledge people do have of God through, the, through his invisible attributes by what they can see and experience, etc., it's sufficient because Paul says they have no excuse. Sufficient for what? For their judgment. Okay. Yeah. So I don't I don't think anyone will be able to go to God and say, well, I never knew. And that that I mean, this is the text I would go to if someone says, what about the aboriginal tribes? Right. You know, I would say, well, you know, I I, I hope the best for all people. I don't know the answer to that. But what I can say is that God would be within his rights to judge according to to the knowledge that someone possesses or the lack of knowledge that someone possesses. But Paul says about the Gentiles that they're without excuse. And so. Maybe that means God will go easy, you know, so to speak, <laughs> on them. But I, I would actually say, I, I would say that homosexuality is the primary example. I mean, be, because um, not not the only one. I certainly agree with that. That there are many disorders that come from our idolatry. From our idolatry, but it is the first one that he does mention, and the fact that he mentions women, from what I understand, is unique pretty much in ancient literature because people have come to this text and they said, yeah, but Paul was probably talking about temple prostitution or the practice of pederasty, yeah. which was a, a ancient. There were specific know. verbs for that that are not used. Yeah. Mm. And so, you know, he does seem to be talking about the, the, well, the dishonorable passion of an exchange of nature, you know, among both, uh, both genders. So, um, but I, I, I certainly agree that I wouldn't say that in the church we should say, uh, that uh, participating in homosexuality is worse than 
uh, someone, you know, being addicted to pornography, heterosexual though it may be, though, and this is going to be controversial, and you don't have to comment on this, but I think I could steal from Paul and say, but one remains more natural than the other, even though they are both wrong. Sin is real natural, too. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, to, I hear you. I hear you. you. I know but, that. But I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. It makes sense. I'm going to move us on just because yeah. we're still in chapter yeah. one and we're like 40 minutes in. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, well, maybe not 40. But uh, so I was going to scoot us up to chapter five um, and get at some theology. But is there anything before we get there that you wanted to uh, talk about anything in uh, chapters one to four that well, well, just simply mention in chapter four that the discussion is with Abraham about Abraham, oh, yeah. but not with Abraham, he's <laughs> not there. Uh, but about Abraham and how Abraham is is his life with regard to faith is the basic template that Paul uses to de- to describe what does it mean to follow God by faith. Mm. Well, we look at Abraham, uh, uh, which in in the Jewish audience he's writing to are going to, what? What are you talking about? It was his obedience. Well, why did he obey? And he wasn't all that good at obeying, quite frankly, if you read (laughs) Genesis 12 through 25. He had some issues uh, that, like we all do, and that's one of the things I love about the, the, uh, about the, the patriarchs, this, this, stories in Genesis is that they show, you know, the, the good and the bad yes. of all the people. And God manages to use them and work with them and through them despite that. But I, I just think it's appropriate to notice that Abraham, uh, justified by faith, is is the emphasis of an entire chapter. Mm. Uh, and that, that's a lot of treatment. Yeah. Uh, that And he, he's doing that to set up uh, how this righteousness uh, through faith in Christ plays out. Abraham uh, didn't know Christ, but he was right. faithful to the promise, the promise of the one mm-hmm. who was to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's important. But chapter five is a, is a marvelous chapter. And I'd love to hear what questions you want to well, bring up about chapter five. For all of my questions, there's always a little bit of a salty side, right? Like, well, this doesn't seem fair. I, I, I love chapter five. I think it's very fair, but I, you know, I found myself at some point thinking that. So one of the ideas that I would love you to unpack is this idea that we have Adam's sin and Adam's death, Adam from the beginning of the whole story, right, in the in the garden, Adam and Eve, and then Christ being the better Adam, um, where we get life from. So it, verse 12 of chapter 5 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people. And then he goes on to say, but through Christ, this other one man, uh, life comes to all people, um, or all who say yes. But I guess the question is, one, can you kind of just describe what it is that he's saying there? But also, is it, and here's the salty part where someone could be salty, are we saying that because one dude and his wife mucked things up in the garden that we just have no chance of being good? That does not seem fair. I realize that's a huge theological question <laughs> to tackle in like three minutes or whatever, but <laughs> do your best. Okay. Well, the answer, You've been at it for so long. The answer is yes. Okay. Thank you. No, that's what I'd need Thank to say for more than that. Yes, it's been here. We have our parting gifts. Yeah. Uh, in, in, you know, this really goes against Western individualism, yeah. against American individualism. Uh, you know, uh, I'm the boss of me, we think. Mm-hmm. And for someone uh, to be 
representative of me on my behalf that I didn't vote in. Right. You know, that I that I didn't choose, didn't have anything to say about, just rubs us the wrong way. Uh, and yet the reality is Adam, as the the first human, the mm-hmm. first person, uh, was in, in, in some way, and I admit we don't have all the ins and outs of exactly how everything plays out in mm-hmm. that. Uh, but Adam was representative of us, and the and the path he took is in some ways determinative for us. And that, uh, you know, I know people get uh, kind of torqued about, well, is, is it a historical Adam or that? I, I, I have no problem with the historical Adam. I quite, Nor do I. I, I quite uh, uh, believe that. Uh, and I, I I know William Lane Craig, for example, has a new book out, mm-hmm. The Quest for the Historical Adam. I mean, there are a lot of people who are wrestling wrestling with that. I, I don't have a difficulty with saying that Adam was a real person and Eve was a real person. Uh, and I think it's that's helpful for the force of this mm-hmm. this text. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but you know the the you know. The, Adam as our federal representative, to use the term that theologians like to throw at Mm -hmm. this, uh, acted in our behalf. And uh, because life is a lot more communitarian than we want it to be, Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, you can start talking about predestination and free will and all that kind of stuff now if you want to. But I I just, you know, our our notions of free will and human Mm -hmm. agency and human choice, I think, are very much defined by our preferences and what uh, what, uh, 20th and 21st century inclinations have been more than any realistic assessment of how human beings make decisions. Uh, I'm going, what is he saying? Let me attempt to, to, to bring that one home. Uh, I, you know, I, I realize I make choices every day. I also realize that there are a lot of things about my choices that I have no clue about that are acting on me in mm-hmm. some ways. Uh, that uh, I am a product of my raising. In a lot of ways, I'm a product of my gene pool. I'm a product of my culture. I'm a mm-hmm. product of of the schools I went to. I, I'm a product of my experiences. You know, my experience has led me to go one way and not go another. Uh, so all of that is, is plays in so strongly that we're just not the complete free moral yeah. agents that we put ourselves up to be. Right. Uh, and so it in that setting, it makes sense that uh, the first human, that Adam, without a lot of our baggage, mm. has the opportunity mm. then to make a choice that's going to impact all of humanity, and he chooses poorly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yes, thank yeah. you. And to uh, so to 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 uh, note that is simply, uh, I think I just think it's a real aspect of life. And uh, yeah, I may not like it, uh, but uh, it seems the best explanation mm-hmm. for why I do what I do and why other people do what they do than anything I've been able to come up with. Would you say it'd be a fair statement? like theologically fair to say, even if Adam didn't uh, sort of rep for us, that we would also choose poorly, as you say? Well, I, I you know, I think uh, those who get really uh, exasperated with 
uh, with Adam's choice. The fact is, I've I've made those poor decisions myself, and so has everyone listening or watching this. Uh, yeah, I know. So the 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 reality is, even if uh, if you want to argue about Adam, okay. The reality is. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. And and even at my very best moments, uh, my motivations are so mixed, I can't even begin to describe it. Yeah. So it, that's the case. That's the reality. Uh, if you want to uh, argue uh, the theological point of Adam, eh, all right, I, I don't agree with you, but you have that right. <laughs> but uh, looking at you know, your own life, uh, it's hard for me to see how you could think otherwise. Yeah. So you're without excuse. You're without excuse. On that, on that front, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm going to just kind of move us through yeah. the rest of the book. Uh, man, it's such I, – I haven't read Romans in a while until I was, you know, looking at ideas for this uh, podcast, and it's so good. I'd sort of forgotten. Um, you talked about how the, the different sections of the book, and at some point he starts talking about the law. I think a lot of the New Testament is dedicated to trying to figure out so how does everything from the Old Testament, now they didn't call it the Old Testament, right? But every, how does everything from the Torah and that we know from the history of Israel work now with this whole Jesus thing? Like, how does it all play out? Because there were all those rules. Do they still apply? And also, I have to ask this question because Evan's here and Evan Lutherans love talking about law oh, and gospel. don't they, though? Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating. But, but I'm curious if you could just... Tell us a little bit about Paul's treatment. I'm looking at um, chapter 7 about being released from the law, bound to Christ. But, of course, we, we the law still matters. It's still good. What, where is the law? And when we say the law, what are we even talking about? Are we talking about the Ten Commandments? Are we talking about all of the rules of the Old Testament? Are we talking about something else? So, you know, again, three minutes yeah, to just tackle minutes. a giant. I mean, <laughs> everything you wanted to know about the law in three minutes. Uh, I think uh, the law is being used in a, in a variety of ways. The Reformed tradition, my tradition, the Presbyterian tradition, has seen a threefold understanding of God's law, that there, there's a ceremonial aspect to the law, that there is a civil aspect of, to the law, and that there is a moral a morality aspect to the law, and uh, I, what you know, we, we're not bound by Old Testament ceremony, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not bound to that, and we're not a theocracy, and so mm -hmm. we're not bound by the uh, rules uh, that uh, led the nation of Israel to do this, that, or the other. Mm -hmm. uh, the moral law, on the other hand, uh, is is a wonderful guide mm -hmm. to us, and if, if you want to know how to what it means to uh, to follow Christ? Well, Ten Commandments not a bad place to start. Yeah, you know it's it's it's, it's and to realize how hard it is. Well, and, and again, that drives you back to the gospel. Uh, yeah. uh, drives you back to Christ. So the the I, I think the law. Uh, you know, we have to be careful when we're reading the New Testament uh, to to understand what uh, understanding of the law. Are we talking about the ceremonies? Are we talking sure. about the sacrifices and those kinds of things? Yeah. We'd say absolutely not. We're not. Uh, we're not. We're free from that. Uh, uh, we are connected though to the law in terms of how I, how I follow Christ. Well, how do, how do I know what it means to follow Christ? Mm -hmm. It's not the only God. Ten Commandments not the only God, but it's a great place to start. I don't have to 
to spend a lot of time wondering if uh, bearing false witness line mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is something that I need to do. Well, no, that's that one's been pretty much answered. Uh, uh, I, there are some questions you can come up with about, uh, well, if the Gestapo's at your door, sure. uh, should you tell the truth if you're hiding me in, in your basement? Well, I would hope no. Uh, that there, So there's, there's certain uh, nuance to it. Uh, but at at the same time, it's you know we don't have to spend a lot of time wondering about it. the law is a wonderful tutor. Our law is a wonderful mm-hmm. guide. Uh, the the law helps us to unpack what what that is, and I think that's where in chapter seven Paul is getting to. And there are a lot of people who are wondering: uh, Is Paul talking about himself in chapter seven? Is Paul mm-hmm. talking about just sort of the average person, the average Christian? With that. Uh, uh, the Presbyterian tradition has tended, not universally, but tended uh, to hold uh, that Paul's really talking about himself. And, and in verse 14 and following, there's a, there's a tense change uh, that I think is important. I think Paul's talking about his own struggles hmm. currently, not the struggles he had before he met Jesus mm-hmm. and now everything is just wonderful and hungry. If you're happy and you know it. Yeah. Uh, no, I think he's talking about his continued uh, challenge hmm. of following Christ and that he's not achieved it by any stretch. And if hmm. Paul says that, that kind of helps me yeah. with my own with my own struggles. But it's that, you know, what I what I want to do, I don't do. Mm-hmm. And what I don't want to do, I end up doing. That's like the story of my life. You just encapsulated it. <laughs> and, and, and so I, you know, I, and this is why we can't depend on the law to save us because I can know the law. That means I'm going to do the law. Well, chapter one told us that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the I, I need. Uh, I need to end it like uh, Paul ends uh, this discussion. What wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to Mm. God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, So uh, uh, yeah, uh, the law connects Mm. us to Jesus uh, Mm. and and helps us see our need, I think. I love that. Golly, I love that. This is so good. All right, we're going to have to have you back on again. Yeah. This is, um, okay, Romans 8 is a doozy of a chapter. Uh, I have always been a little salty about Romans 8 because when I've gone through really difficult things in my life, and I mean, I mean, I don't think I've suffered more than like the average Joe, but I've been through some hard stuff. People always throw out Romans 8, 28, which by the way, I believe and I think is true. I think is, um, mm-hmm. it, and it is a comfort, but I don't think that's maybe the space to be using it when someone's going through a divorce or someone just died. Um, the, the verse says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. People tend to use that, at least with me, to to actually mean God's going to make this good real soon, which mm. I don't think is really what the verse is saying. So I'd love your thoughts on just yeah. that verse, and then we'll get into the really sticky previous yeah, 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 absolutely. I think that verse gets tossed out. Uh, inappropriately on many occasions. Uh, I, I think it, it is absolutely true. It is a necessary component of theism, not just Christianity, but hmm. theism to say that God will ultimately work God's will out. Mm-hmm. If, if your God can lose to uh, some human being, 
mm-hmm. some human decision, then I'm, I would posit you really don't have God. You're really not talking yeah. about God. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's a necessary uh, component to to any kind of theism that holds water for longer than 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, but it's so that the word ultimate is important. Yeah. Here. Ultimately, you you see that uh, that uh, God takes the evil that happens to us and uses it to work out good in some way, in some yeah. fashion. Uh, that's you know, the time to hear that is is mostly after the fact when something has happened. Mm-hmm. It's not usually while it's happening. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you're going through a, a, a personal trauma, and I don't want to say, well, you know that all <laughs> things are going to work good. So just hang in there. And, oh, hang in there. You That's know, a classic. You know, bucket yeah. up, buttercup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, oh, come on. Uh, yeah. that, that just, uh, I want to punch people in the mouth who say that kind of thing to me. Because everybody struggles with something. Everyone's yeah. dealing with some kind of pain, be it physical or psychic or spiritual or relational, whatever it is. And in some way, I firmly believe God uses that for his purposes Mm -hmm. in our life. Mm -hmm. I am convinced we may not be able to understand that in any uh, full sense on this side of of human existence. Yeah, that's Uh, good. All right, the moment you've all been waiting for. We're going to talk about predestination, free will, election. Do people even have a choice? All of that jazz. Uh, we did a <laughs> theology on tap before Evan was on the team. We did, uh, probably in our first year, um, a sort of Presbyterians versus Methodists. And um, <laughs> and because people would often ask about any given issue, well, where do you guys disagree about this? Like, how do you see it differently? And, um, and we had a sort of a clean break of Reformed and not-so-Reformed folks on the leadership team. And so we... We did that, and we got our heinies handed to us because the Methodists brought in Bishop Jones, who is a lovely man. By the end of it, I thought, am I Methodist? I think maybe I'm Methodist. Provenient grace sounds so great. Um, but at one point, I just read this part of this chapter uh, for the sort of the Presbyterian case. It didn't help much because they trounced us anyway, but maybe you can <laughs> can bring it back around. Um Right after that tricky verse I just talked about, we get, um, some people call this the golden chain. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, in verse 29 and 30, it talks about being predestined and called and justified. And um, and there are other spaces, obviously, in Romans where he talks about this. But can you help us unpack, does that mean that God just picks who he wants to be in and we don't get a say in it? Or maybe walk us through the golden chain okay. and your thoughts on it, however okay. you want to tackle that. Uh the way I, I would want to address that is to note that Paul doesn't throw in, that in at in Romans one. Hmm. Uh, that 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 uh, unlike say the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is already throwing out decrees of God uh, and, and those kinds of things early on in the game, uh, this comes halfway through the book, hmm. and I I think it speaks to an emphasis that. Uh, John Calvin developed later on in his later editions of Institutes of the Christian Religion, where he takes uh, predestination and election away from the beginning and Mm -hmm. puts it toward the end of his book. Mm -hmm. Because it's the sort of thing you often can think about in hindsight more Mm -hmm. than as an initial uh, premise. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of thing you recognize as you're reflecting on what's happened before. 
as you're reflecting on your life. You go, oh, I've seen God's hand at work here. Mm-hmm. You know, the, and there's an old cliche that the, at the, the, when you're going through the door uh, to a relationship with God on the, the, the front side when you go in, it's, you know, whosoever will may come and you go through it and then you hang around in the room for a while and then you look back at the door and on the inside it, it has, it has uh, a, a different language. It's, uh, you know, uh, those who I have called. Mm-hmm. Are gonna, and so I, there's an aspect in, in which uh, both are true. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's, I, I think Paul is being a little pastoral here. He's connecting this whole idea of, of all things that work for the good of those who, who love him uh, to the idea of God's foreknowledge. And I don't think God's foreknowledge is the same thing as predestination. Yeah. That's what our Methodist friends would, would be interested in. Uh, I think it's, there's more to it than that. Number one, there are two different words used here in the text. The text mm-hmm. differentiates them. Uh, but it, it, there's a difference between simply knowing and uh, and destining that we, uh, we have to realize, we have to own up to those of us who are in the, uh, the Presbyterian and Reformed tradition, that uh, which is my tradition, and that chain then just simply takes the uh, the what uh, could be described as the logical uh, movement of mm-hmm. events there from uh, from God's knowledge to God's choosing to uh, God's conforming to God's uh, calling, justifying and glorifying, uh, and those uh, yeah, I admit uh, for the. You go well. What do I have to do with it? Uh, hmm. And mm-hmm. and again, American uh, individual uh, liberty says no. But I choose it. Uh, the and I think God. God is free to be God. Yeah. And that's the. And this is a key freedom of God passage here. Hmm. A, a key emphasis upon God's sovereign freedom, hmm. and that it, yeah. Yeah, I have the, the the ability to choose, but if it comes down to God's choice and my choice, guess which choice wins? <laughs> we already know from verse eight twenty. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and, and so I, I think he's attempting to be pastoral here and say, you know, the the, the awful things you're going through, uh, for you know that you've been called. Uh, you know, work all in all things, which doesn't mean all good things, but all things. Some of those things aren't so good, but hang in there because yeah. God knows you. God's predestined you. God's conforming you to the image of Christ. Uh, he's calling you. He's justifying you. He's glorifying you. It, that it's mm-hmm. a pastoral emphasis. It's encouraging. It's yeah. it's less of a systematic theology emphasis yeah. and more of a pastoral em- emphasis in my mind, yeah. at least. And if we choose one way, we can choose the other way too, right? So it it it's good to know that God has chosen you because God is steadfast and God keeps his promises. Whereas we, as we saw in Romans 7, we're pretty fickle. Like we don't do the things mm-hmm. we want to do and we do the things we don't want to do. So, you know, I think it's a blessing to have the burden lifted from us. Right. Oh, you can't screw it up yeah. and if, work your way out of it. If it's up yeah. to me to gain it, then it can be up to me to lose it. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I just don't want, I don't need that pressure because <laughs> yeah. number one, I'm just not that good. Yeah. I'm just not that accomplished. Yeah. And, and I, I want, uh, I am, I'm comfortable with the whole idea of 
It's God's perseverance mm-hmm. that keeps me in relationship with him, mm-hmm. not my fickleness. Yeah, it's beautiful. And that is kind of the Old Testament story, isn't it? Well, you know, kind of you fickle, know. fickle Israel, you know, and God hanging in Absolutely. there with Israel. And, Absolutely. I just so. think that answers a lot more questions than because if it is my choice and eventually you get to something that's not justification by faith. I think you push it far enough. Uh, well, why did you choose, and why did I choose, and my brother not choose? Mm-hmm. Well, was it because I understood it better, smarter? Was it because I was more perceptive? Seems like that was verse it, about so that none may boast enters yeah, in here. Yeah. yeah. So I simply, I don't want to. The way to preserve justification by faith alone, through grace alone, mm-hmm. is here. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we don't have any Arminians here to fight, so we're just well, going to call that That's a win. Well, <laughs> Um, but, but we and have I'm really, done... I'm really good at fighting straw men, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why Aren't just, we all? I'll throw them out. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but we have done podcasts on that before. Where we've had very knowledgeable, able, uh, winsome people on both sides of that. So you guys can go back and find those. Uh, Colin Bagby kind of ripped yeah. for that team, and he did a, a wonderful job. And on the podcast, we had we put out the debate on Molinism recently, yes. which talks about a lot of these sorts of things. James mm-hmm. White and Tim Stratton. Right. Yeah, yes. like middle knowledge. Yes. Yeah. But we're not going to go there today. Yes, let's not go there. Um, yeah. But and it's kind of in that same camp. There's a, a tricky verse in uh, chapter 9. Um, it, it's not necessarily tricky on the predestination front, though it kind of is there. But um, it's this passage. People do people in the super reform camp, camp do use this um, for their benefit. But it says, 21, does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Mm -hmm. Just um, there are a couple times in Romans where I think if you don't unpack it the right way, it can seem really harsh. We've we've already talked on the podcast about the whole like um, uh, Esau I've hated thing. Jacob, I've loved Esau, I've hated. So I I don't want to go there. But that's another one that seems like, ouch, God. I mean, it's Paul writing, but it's, it's God's ideas, right? So. What do you make of that verse? The potter, as of course the Lord, that he can use the same lump for regular, normal, and some for special. Like, ouch, which woman do I, Lord, am I special? Well, I, I, yeah, again, uh, this makes me uh, think of God's freedom of choice, God's freedom of action here. Uh, and that it, it uh, yet again, a necessary component of, of any the- theism is God's freedom to act. God may choose not to act in a certain way. Uh, for example, in, in uh, the way that God appears to have designed, uh, the whole idea of evangelism is through human beings normally communicating with other human beings. He didn't have to do it that way. He could have done it quite another way, uh, many other ways, uh, but he chose to do it that way. And so there, and there are some limitations in that way, perhaps, uh, with, uh, it, it, because of human limitations. Yeah. Uh, so God has that freedom uh, uh, to choose. So uh, if you, but if you just rip that passage out of uh, uh, out of context here, uh, then I, I think you do you do injustice to the text because Paul is here bemoaning mm. his own people's reluctance to follow Jesus as Messiah mm-hmm. as Christ. Uh, and it's in the course of that argument that this statement is made. Mm. It's not, uh, it, it, again, 
he's not attempting to make an abstract theological point. Yeah. He's simply attempting to note uh, the uh, the sovereign God's prerogative. Yeah. When it comes right down to it, usually wins. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't need to belabor yeah. that point. I'm going to try to get us through two other kind of okay. ideas before we close out. But um, he spends a, a fair amount of time in Romans, what am I in now, 11, talking about this idea of engrafting with the mm-hmm. branches. And there's a a lot of talk in the Old Testament about stumps and branches and trees and that kind of thing. And I don't think we need to do a full thematic, you know, survey. But uh, talk a little bit about this idea of being engrafted and why that should matter to us, if if you yeah. care to. Yeah, I th- it's, it's the language that Paul uses uh, in Romans when in Galatians he uses adoption mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. And so it's that same kind of thing. Now, Evidently, Paul is not particularly adept at horticulture because there are a lot of folks who say, well, he's describing this wrong. You don't oh, graft a tree in that way. Yeah. But going, okay. Oh, well, there goes inerrancy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, Paul, the image that Paul is trying to create is is this this wild shoot the gentiles yes. the the non the non-jews being grafted into an already existing living tree uh and that's that's what he's he's not attempting to say and this is how we all do horticulture yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's so it's just you know you're trying to make too, people are trying to make too much of that if they're criticizing because he doesn't have the latest techniques of horticulture or i mean maybe that kind of proves his point it doesn't work like this in yeah. sort of real life, as it were. But God does things this way. It doesn't make sense, but God does it. I, I don't know. Well, it, 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 it's his way of talking about being brought into the family of God yeah. in Romans. Uh, it's, it, it, he uses other language in other books. He, it, you know, The adoption language is particularly powerful yeah. in, other, yeah. in other letters. And, and it's language that speaks to me more than in grafting yeah. because I'm not a horticulturalist either. And, and, uh, but I, I can recognize the power of the adoption metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the engrafting does the same thing here. Uh, we are engrafted into God's family. Yeah. And we didn't earn it or deserve mm-hmm. it. And we've got a whole lot of blessings because of those who've come before us, those whom we've been connected to. Uh, and that's a powerful, mm-hmm. uh, that's a powerful note. Uh, to to emphasize, I think, and that's and particularly with a church that is you know partially Gentile, partially Jewish. That's not a bad thing to to emphasize that these that the the two have become one mm-hmm. in, in God's eyes, and so if you've got a congregation that's you know. Seventy percent Gentile and thirty percent Jewish, and they 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 have some uh, times where they're butting heads. It's not a bad idea to remind them, "Hey, you're really all one." Yeah, yeah. I feel like parents <laughs> talking to kids. Yeah. Remember, you're part of the same family. Um, and I feel like this is relevant. That I knew a guy who was really into horticulture, and he created. Well, he didn't create it, but he put it together somehow. A tree that had lemons, limes, and kumquats mm. growing on the same everything. Mm. Yeah, crazy sauce. Mm. But I saw it with my own eyes. Just saying. Mm. Okay. Last thing, unless there's something else that you're like, oh, we've got to talk about this. In uh, in chapter 13, uh, chapter 13 gets referred to a lot, um, especially when we have someone that's in political power that we don't like. Um, and so the Christians will say, well, we need to submit to the authorities 
that God has put over us, even if we don't like them. Um, and so maybe you can talk a little bit about this idea of submitting to the governing authorities and, um, and, and does that mean we just sit back and do nothing when we see governing authorities acting unjustly? Um, and, and again, a, you know, giant idea for just a couple minutes, hmm. but. Well, I think if we looked at this in isolation, you, you might get that idea. Uh, but if you look, if you let scripture help you interpret scripture, then you see times in the book of Acts, for example, where the, the you know, you know, Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, you know, the council, and they say, well, you know, you can tell us what to do, you think, but we're not going to obey you. We're going to mm-hmm. obey God. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's at, at, so at some point, uh, the uh, uh, obedience to God uh, vaults over any other obedience. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, I think that's what's being talked about here. I th- also, I think that here uh, we're getting the other side of the coin uh, that uh, by and large, you know, there is a certain amount of respect for authority that's inherent in, for human society to function. Mm-hmm. If there, if there's no respect for authority, what you don't have is freedom. What you have is anarchy. Yeah. And so he's and, and he's writing to a church in Rome. Yeah, yeah. You just you know, let that mm-hmm. sink in. You know that this is the you know the. A church that has undoubtedly been through some level of persecution and will be through a whole lot of persecution. Mm-hmm. He's saying, you know, as much as you're able to submit, yeah, you know, go then. But we look other places in the New Testament and say, well, th- there is a, a line, mm-hmm. and the line is if they want you to do something that uh, that. Uh, or and God wants you to do something else, or God doesn't want you to do what they're wanting right. you to do. Like the early church, uh, the early Christians died by the thousands when mm. they were asked to drop the pinch of incense on the altar to Caesar, as Caesar is God, and and say, well, you you just do that, just go along to get along mm-hmm. here, and it's you know you don't have to really believe it. None of us do. You know, we just do it because it's the thing to do. And the early Christians would not do mm-hmm. it because only Jesus was Lord, and they died. By the by, the thousands upon thousands for mm. that in the early centuries of the church. So, you know, there there is a time when you can't do what the authorities tell you to do, yeah. and it's usually when they're telling you to do something that is overtly against what God wants. Interestingly enough, it's often overtly against the first commandment to take us back to the law. Mm-hmm. I think of like in Daniel when they're asked to worship someone other than Yahweh. Or even during the Maccabean Revolt, where they're asked to, you know, worship at the temple and, and sacrifice pig and all these things that would imply worship to Zeus or some other god. Um, interesting. Yeah. And if you go, this is a, a, a blatant attempt to bring things full circle. You go back to Romans 1. What's the primordial human sin? It's idolatry. idolatry. It's putting something else in the place of God. Mm-hmm. And if the government wants to put itself in the place of God, that's a point at which we dig in our heels. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a nice way to kind of round off the yeah. argument that everything's connected to the central thesis that yeah. he's arguing in 16 and 17. Yeah. I love it. Well, we're kind of, I mean, we're, we're out of time. We don't have to stop right the second. If there's something that you're like, man, I really wanted to get to or a question you wanted to address or a particular passage. Was there anything uh, else? No, I'd, we, I think that that covered everything that uh, uh, for this time that I'm interested in. 
Okay. So thank you. I think, and Evan, did you want to ask anything else? No, no, we're good. I think, uh, let me read what you said you think is the thesis of the book one more time just to kind of close us out and then we'll do our logistical stuff. Uh, So back in Romans 1, verse 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's really good. Okay, so if people did not like what you said today and they want to send you like hate mail or email you and let you know, where can they find you? I'm joking. But if people have follow-up questions, Uh, where can they find you? Well, they can email me. Yeah. Uh, Is that what you're looking for, email address? Uh, And the email is cbrown at mdpc.org. cbrown at mdpc.org. And that same uh, formula works for anybody at our church. So mm-hmm. if you want to stalk anybody at MDPC, first initial, last name, you get the gist. Where can people find you, Evan? Uh, or if they want to come to church here? First Lutheran, flhouston.org. Yeah. Okay. And everything you need to know about life, the universe, and everything in it is found at houstontot.com. That's not true, but it's fun to say. Um, so uh, thank you guys for listening. And until we see you next, as always, question freely, think deeply, and disagree as needed.